Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Thinking Christianly podcast, sponsored by Global Scholars. I'm your host, Jordan Plank. Joining me are Dr. Stan Wallace and Dr. J.P. Moreland. Well, gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Thinking Christianly podcast. We're thrilled to have you. And today our topic is on prayer. And this is one of those topics that could be, I mean, we could talk for a long, long time. So we're going to try and try and narrow it down to kind of how prayer works philosophically. Um, does prayer actually change God's mind? What, what does it do for the Christian? What is, what is the nature of prayer? So let's get started with that question. Is prayer a challenge to divine foreknowledge? Well, you're jumping right in the deep end, Jordan. Um, I, I do think it's important to start with defining prayer, what, what essentially mm, yes. is prayer. My understanding of prayer, and I think what we want to talk about is all acts of worshiping God that uh, allow us to enter his presence, to commune mm. with him, to to make uh, make requests of him, uh, to, 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 to make confession. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to always start by defining prayer very broadly to include not only petitionary prayer, which is the crux, I think, of your question, but also mm-hmm. worship and confession and fellowship. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, JP might want to add to that. No, I think that's great. Yeah. Like it. Dallas Willard in The Divine Conspiracy defines prayer as talking to God about what we are doing together. Mm. Yeah, that's, a that's, great, that's cool. I like that. A great definition mm. there. Mm-hmm. Well, I, Jordan, I have uh, addressed this question and a whole bunch of others like it. Uh, in the book we covered last last month, uh, A Simple Guide to Experience Miracles, and they're, they're, they're important questions. And I, I, um, I don't think that prayer... Uh, is poorly related to God's foreknowledge uh, in the fo- in the following sense: God foreknows that I will do something. Let's say pray for something, because that's what I will do. So it is my what I'm going to do at some time in the future that is the basis of God's foreknowing it. His foreknowing it isn't what determines that I do it. So if he foreknows I'm going to go to McDonald's and I get there, am I free? Yeah, because if I chose to go to Burger King, then God would have foreknown that. So uh, it doesn't rob us of free will, nor does it block uh, God's ability to genuinely listen to our petitions, even though he has foreknowledge. Uh, it might take me a second to unpack this, but I think it's real important. Um, God has two kinds of attributes, and one are called categorical attributes, which means that they're fully actualized. Uh, there's no potential for them to, to, to be more actualized. For example, his attribute of being uh, a necessary being or being uh, simple uh, where he's not composed of parts, uh, uh, those attributes are fully actualized in his life uh, and in his being. But but there's some of his attributes are called dispositions. There are powers to do things that God is not fully utilizing, but he could. For example, um, God's omnipotence. It's very clear God is not doing everything that is within his power to do all the time. Or else he'd be creating infinite number of universes, and we couldn't move from one place to the other. He'd be filling it with stuff. So it's clear that God is not—he can do anything that is logically possible uh, and within God's character. But but he doesn't do everything that he could do. So his omnipotence or his power is a disposition. Now, God's foreknowledge is defined in the following way. For all truths, God knows them. And for any falsehood, God does not believe it. 
And so his foreknowledge is defined with respect to truths uh, or falsehoods. But God does not have to be aware of everything he knows. So, for example, God's omniscience doesn't trump his omnipotence. So God could know something in the sense that he has knowledge of some truth about that, but he might not want to have, does he have to be aware of all the snot and all the sheep's noses in the, in the Rocky Mountains every instant of his life? I, I sure hope not. <laughs> so I'll give you an illustration. I came home years ago and my daughter was in sixth grade and she runs up from school and says, dad, I got to tell you. There are three branches of government, and they kind of check each other off. I, okay, I want to tell you about it. And I already knew that, but I chose not to let my mind go there. Uh, so I refrained from accessing or becoming aware of what I knew. Why did I do that? Because I wanted her to trigger my knowledge of that, not my own searching my own memory. And the reason I did that is I wanted a genuine sense of excitement at not faking it when she did that. Well, I don't see why God couldn't completely know the entire future in that. There is no truth about the future that he does not know. But anytime he wanted to, he could just choose to not be aware of that. And he would do that to let us have the privilege of, quote, unquote, informing him not in the sense that we're telling him something he didn't know, but in the sense that we are bringing to his consciousness something that he was not aware of, though he could have made himself aware of it without our help. But he chose to condescend and let us help him. So for me, I, I am not informing God, but I am, I believe, bringing, bringing to his awareness uh, a need that I have that he has chosen not to focus his attention on because he wants us to have the privilege of having some role in this thing. And so that would be my view. Stan, you, you can push back on that or, or whatever you want to do there and give us your view. No, I have struggled with this quite a bit and, uh, and think about it often. And, and I've, I've just had a lot of prayers not answered. Now, I've had prayers answered too, but I've had a lot not answered that seemed that uh, would be in God's will. And uh, obviously I was wrong. And so I've just had to go back and, and rethink a lot of these things. And I'll be honest, I am not at the end of the road on this journey by any yep. stretch of the imagination. So I'm not sure I, ha I have a lot to add to that point. Uh, I, I have always thought it confused epistemology and metaphysics to say, just because God knows what we will do determines what that is somehow. Uh, I have never seen that connection. So I, I, I entirely agree with, with uh, the way you, you put that. Right. Uh, and there's also a, a, a resonance with me as you talk about God being the type of loving father you tried to be to your girls. And of course, we all try to be in terms of him having the ability to to enter into relationship and conversation with us. And if that requires him not accessing certain things so that we can delight him there, there's a resonance to that as well just knowing the nature of god and his desire to have intimacy right. with us and what that looks like just an, analogous to to parenting so that that, that does make sense well and, and it's important to to remind our viewers that this in no way diminishes god's omniscience mm. in no way he's still omniscient yeah. so uh that, i want to be sure that this is not yeah you know, yeah. some, some view that God doesn't know the future or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, that's mm -hmm. not who I am. So, mm -hmm. right. Are there some other distinctions you, you think are really helpful to make in this discussion? Well, yeah. In, in, in the book, A Simple Guide to Miracles, I, I list, uh, I think it's 14 reasons why God doesn't respond. Not all 14 is going to apply every time God doesn't answer a prayer or heal a sick person or whatever, but there's a high chance that one or two of them will. Maybe none will, because uh, uh, I think Jordan raised the issue uh, before the show came on here about what is the hardest thing psychologically uh, for me 
dealing with this thing called prayer. For my own satisfaction, I have solved the problem of foreknowledge. And to my own satisfaction, I've solved the problem of why do we need to pray? Wouldn't God do what's good anyway? we talk about that later. But the number one thing for me is what you pointed out. God is a no-show so much. And all I mean by that is there are times when I've prayed and I'll tell you, it looks like it's in God's best interest to answer because, boy, mm-hmm. he's going to be honored and glorified. This seems to be something that fits his agenda, uh, and it would bless so many of his children. And, and yet, you know, the heavens are silent. And uh, I've seen enough answer to prayer to know that there's somebody on the other line that that, that answers prayer. I know mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But, but I don't get uh, these, and that's where these 14 mm. reasons help, but I'll, but the emotional uh, mm-hmm. dissatisfaction or <laughs> disappointment, mm-hmm. uh, that that's the toughest thing for me, because mm-hmm. you think, I, you know, come on, give me a break here, <laughs> would you? I'm, I'm doing my best on this thing, and I was earnest about that, and I, I but at the end of the day, you know, you you kind of regain your senses and say, I do recognize that you see a bigger hole and I don't get all the things. But, boy, it looked yeah. to me like that was one you should have answered. <laughs> yeah. Well, in one category of unanswered prayer that I have come to terms with uh, is and this was one of my great disappointments quite early in my Christian life, uh, a certain prayer for. Uh, a, a family member to do, to do the right thing that ultimately did not come to pass and has had repercussions throughout the years to this day. And I've really had to struggle with that and, and realized that ultimately my view was that God can do anything. And uh, as you actually mentioned a minute ago, actually God can do anything that's possible. If it can be possibly done, be done, God can do it. Uh, we know he can't sin. We know he can't cease to exist. There's a number of things based on his character he can't do. And I'm convinced that because he chose, again, he freely chose, but he did choose to create free creatures. That's right. Uh, he can't cause us to do something, to decide right. something. He can influence us. He can incline us. He can woo us and so on and so forth, but he can't make us. And I was praying that he would make this family member make a certain decision. And uh, I think that was not possible for him, not because he's not omnipotent, but it's outside the realm of a logically possible thing to be done uh, to make a free creature freely choose to do something. So that's right. helped me a lot. Oh, it's I've- huge. Scripture speaks to this too. I My favorite example is Peter. Jesus says in Luke twenty two thirty two, I have requested concerning you that your faith may not die. And when you have straightened up, uphold your brothers. And, you know, Jesus didn't pull a magic trick to make Peter not deny him. He left him free to, mm. to decide what he was going yeah. to do. And ultimately it was to make him the person he would become. But it seems that Christ really was bummed out by that. Yeah, well, that, that makes sense to me. You know, God can be uh, hold a sadness and a an exhilaration about his plan going forward uh, at the same time, mm-hmm. because the sadness doesn't trump his ability to be the most joyful being around. His personality is so big that those are two emotions he can hold within himself simultaneously. I want to make two points about Stan's very, it's an incredible observation. I I actually came to that myself too, Stan, independently. There are two major applications to your view that God, there are some things that are outside the logical possibility, and one of them is determining a free agent. (laughs) That's an implicit Mm -hmm. contradiction. So the two benefits for me is, number one, I think uh, this has helped me not be as disappointed with unanswered prayer because I've realized that a lot of the things I prayed for were not in God's power to bring about because I was praying that so-and-so would get a job or so-and-so would be saved or my family member would, uh, you know, start choosing to, and and it dawned on me, you know, like, like it did you, Hey, those prayers aren't getting answered and I've been bummed out. 
uh, but I now I realize that I should have been shouldn't have been asking those things to begin with. So what that has done is it's made the number of unanswered prayers less because I'm not praying bogus prayers that God can't answer and stay true to his creation of us as free agents. The other thing it's done is it's made my prayers more effective because now if I'm praying for an unbeliever, I might say, Lord, I'm asking you to speak to Joe when his defenses are down, maybe get in a dream perhaps, uh, or in some way when he's asleep so that he is less resistant. And would you would you bring emotions and thoughts to his mind that would give him a chance if he, he chooses to act on them to be drawn to reflection about you? Would you bring people across his path? But those all stop short of praying that he'd get saved because I don't, it's not up to God whether he gets saved in my theology. It's up to the person's choice. Uh, I do believe Christ died for everybody. And, but there are those who won't get saved because they choose not to. So I think your point there is just worth its weight in gold. And it uh, keeps you from a lot of frustration and bitterness. Oh, right. Toward God. Exactly. I think, JP, one of the things that you said was that it doesn't diminish God in any way to have mm. this, I don't want to say multiplicity, but to have more than one, maybe, uh, emotion or or feeling. Um it's not inherently greater to be inflexible. Oh, and... absolutely. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, the, the greater the person, the more they are able to feel a variety of things at one time. It, it is uh, diminished people that can't get in touch with their emotions. I've been there, and I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm just saying that those of us who've had that problem need to grow. Uh, and I'll give you an example. And so today, I can feel sadness or uh, grief and tremendous peace at the same time. They don't cancel each other out. Now, I am so finite that if I can do that at least to some approximate degree, I have no trouble with a, with a, a, a maximally perfect being. That is, that is, it's impossible for him to become greater, uh, to be able to do that uh, to a perfect degree. That helps me understand God's ability to have a wide emotional life, where the things that grief his spirit don't ultimately take away from his joy. Mm-hmm. That's good. This is such a different picture of prayer than I grew up with. And I think that shift as Christians is a very difficult one to make. For instance, I grew up with the idea that prayer was simply to align the Christian to the will of God. So, you know, in prayer, God would kind of sink you like a, like a device, like sink you into his, his will and plans, and then do whatever he was going to do anyway. And it was sort of a sort of a charade. It was sort of a, a smoke and mirrors where, oh, you know, the thing I prayed for came true. And really God had simply implanted in my heart, the idea to pray about that thing. And then that thing did happen. Is that something you've encountered? I haven't encountered it in terms of my upbringing. I didn't have a Christian mm-hmm. upbringing, so I didn't have that, mm-hmm. you know, kind of conversation ever, mm-hmm. but I want to make sure you're not saying something that I do think is the case. So I might push back here a little bit, uh, but I might not. I don't want to hear you well. So um, it does seem to me that part of prayer is being still and knowing that he is God. Part of prayer is more of a communal fellowship. It might not have words at all in a a sense, but it might be being present with God and 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 being open to listen to what he inclines me to pray about. So I, I do try to have regular times where I do sit before him and then inclinations or thoughts lead me to then pray about something that wasn't on my mind beforehand. And I think, well, I know some of those times, I don't know all those times, but some of those times he is giving me those thoughts, those inclinations, that nudge for me to participate with him in his activity to pray about that thing. And I think that 
I think that's legitimate. Now, is that what you're mm-hmm. saying or is it something different? Yeah, let me let me make a distinction here. I think it okay. would be that the purpose of prayer would simply be for God oh. to mm-hmm. deposit these ideas. Okay. okay. And so then, yeah. you know, he's really going to do whatever he's going to do. Right. Anyway, whether you pray or not. Whether I pray or not. He, he, he deterministically caused you to pray so that he was going to do it, whether you prayed or not. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, okay. I'll jump in because uh, I think Stan's point is, uh, is just spot on mm-hmm. because look, there are things that God wants to get done in the world and he has chosen, and I'll mention this in a second. He's chosen to co-labor with us to get them done. And so uh, it, it makes perfect sense to me that if he wants something to happen, he would very well somehow communicate that to me because I was, I'm not thinking about it. And uh, so I, I, at a time when, and I do this too, where I'm sitting quietly and I'm just not using words. I, I also use words, of course. And so Stan, but um, I'll, I'll just say, Lord, I, I'm just here to be, be in your presence. And I, I I'll be, I'm open. If you want to try to get through to me, <laughs> uh, I'm open. And, and if I get an, incl- uh, you know, an inclination or just a, this, this, thought comes into my mind that seems to come from nowhere, then um, I will, unless I really need to check it with some other people and get wisdom, I'll act on it or pray about it. So uh, that's that's a non-coercive way uh, where God knows that if he were to do that to me, I, I stand ready to respond. Mm-hmm. And that, and so he does it. Um, but no, I don't, I see, I don't agree with the, uh, the way you were taught when you were a kid, because that's a deterministic view of the world. And so mm-hmm. that we turn out to be involved in a puppet show and whatever we quote unquote do is really not us doing it, but it's the deterministic decrees of God that run through me. So I become like a seriously. I'm like a lawnmower. Uh, I, I am sort of an, uh, a passive object that God simply works through to accomplish His purposes. I am not an agent or an actor in the strict sense of that term. But the question is: Well, if God is all good, uh, wouldn't there be good things that would be important for Him to accomplish? that he would do anyway, whether we asked him or not, and wouldn't there be evil things that it would be important to him to thwart? And so wouldn't he thwart that evil, whether we asked him or not? And my answer is yes, if God's only and or main purpose in the world was for him by himself to maximize the good in the world and minimize the evil from the time of the creation until the second coming. But that's not his purpose. We will return to the show in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsor. Do you have a child, relative, or friend preparing for or attending college? What they need most are Christian professors who can help them learn to love God with their hearts and minds during these impressionable years. Global Scholars equips Christian professors to be there for them and walk with them during their years in college. Please visit www.global-scholars.org to learn how you can help equip Christian professors to show Christ's love on a campus near you and around the world. Please also check out Stan's other podcast, College Faith. While this podcast is focused on the ideas prevalent in our culture, including our universities, The College Faith Podcast is more focused on the practical issues of thriving in college as a Christian. Students, as well as parents of students, and soon-to-be students, will enjoy hearing from the guests Stan has on the show. Visit collegefaith.net or download episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And now, back to Thinking Christianly. His purpose is to, first of all, as I, and this is all in the book, but to, to build a community of people throughout history that are called the people of God. And these people voluntarily enter that community, and once they're in, 
they continue to make choices day by day, voluntarily, to cooperate with God. God then moves on that community, and they co-labor together, and God is maturing them and building partners and, and friends and servants that he can trust to do things when he, without him having to do it. So now what that means is that there are good things that God wants to happen, say, in our lives, but he won't do it unless we ask him. And there are harmful things that he won't thwart unless we ask him, because he's, he is as or more interested in fostering our participation than just doing the good by himself. So that makes sense to me because, um, you know, I, if I tried to just shower my kids with good things, whether they wanted them or not, uh, that would not do any good. But if I train them to have the humility to come and ask, then I'm developing their character. And I'm also building a kind of a dependency, a healthy dependency in our relationship with one another. So that's why I think God has condescended to let things depend on our prayer, because it matters to him that through history, he is building a community of people that he can trust to act on their own, as it were, uh, as his servants. And so we all get to play, and this isn't a puppet show. It's real. We make a real difference at the end of the day as to what happens in history and what doesn't happen. So I don't know uh, if, if that, that, that's at least the way I think about it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. And implicit in that is also that it shapes us Absolutely. in important ways. That's why prayer is called a spiritual discipline. It's a, it's a thing we engage in as a discipline, as a regular practice that, that shapes our soul. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. God calling to himself that remnant and to keep his word and all of these things. It's so it's a helpful way to think about that. And it's not an easy pill to swallow. Because, you know, if we're, if we're talking about prayers for a parking spot, it's, you know, it's fine. But if we're talking about, you know, prayers for deeply important things to us, it can be hard to imagine that that is not a part of God's priority system or, or that the way that we want things to come out is not a part of his will that that can feel almost personally offensive. I don't, I'm not implying that there might be cases where God is so concerned about something happening that he would do it, whether we asked him or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's free sure. to do that. Mm-hmm. And that might yeah. very, there's a principle of proportionality. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be that the proportionality of the degree of good of this outcome overrides the good that will come if I co labor with God. But I'm just saying, generally speaking, mm-hmm. I mean, if you look, you go from Genesis to Revelation and you look what is the main theme of Scripture. I think we're pretty close is God is glorifying himself by uh, establishing a community of people called the members of his kingdom who are free voluntarily enter that community through the gospel uh, and then choose to collaborate with God. And he, he wants us to end up being certain types of people and giving us the freedom to, to, to weigh in. It's a big deal. I can I can remember my kids when they got older. We started making family decisions about vacation mm-hmm. and so on, uh, by including their input, and they could override us. Oh my gosh! Well, they began to have a really vested interest instead of what well, we're going here. You know, why do we have to go there again? Well, you, you, so I think the same thing's going on myself. Mm-hmm. By the way, mm-hmm. this answers the question: Why do we get more people to pray? Because Paul answers that, he he makes a very interesting point, and he says, we want to get to have more people pray so that more people will be blessed when God answers. Hmm. Now, what that means is that if one person makes a request for something, then if God grants that, then that's going to be a really good thing for for that person, not only the blessing that they receive, but 
the, the training that they need to stay at this. But what if there, you get 100 people or, or more, besides the fact that there is a compo- combined spiritual power being released here, if God does step in and respond, you're, you're, he is going to uh, strengthen and teach and nurture toward maturity a hundred people. So I, it makes perfect sense to me. It's not like, you know, he's not listening to me. I got to get a bigger number. So he'll finally listen to what I'm saying. That's not it. It's that the more people that we can enlist, there are benefits. The, more people will be strengthened through the answer. We learn to depend and cooperate and grieve with those who grieve. So there's a learning in the community. Oh my gosh, there's all kinds of things that, that happen if we rely on that doesn't mean god won't answer if you do it by yourself it's just there's a greater good if we invite others mm-hmm. i really like that i i have found many times that i can either feel the disappointment in much a greater way if i was praying for them or for their situation and i can also find that it's a lot easier to be joyful with people who i have also been praying with. Absolutely. It's, it's an orienting that's that's helpful in community and if community with us and you know the community of believers is is the goal then it seems that that kind of prayer would be very helpful and and move toward that that let end. Me, let me give you may I give an example of this Absolutely. a real life example. Um a, a few months ago I taught a two-day course in Biola on my book a simple guide to experience miracles. And it was just, it went, it was uh, 17 hours of lecture. Wonderful time. Well, there's, there was a, a, a husband and wife with it that are from middle, mid California. And they went home uh, after this. And they, they, they just decided that they were going to start praying more uh, specifically for people and things. And, sh- and so this lady had a very close Christian sister that they, they, they hung out and met together, to read the word and, and so on. And so she was sharing with her friend some of the things she had learned uh, about prayer and, and miracles. And it dawned on them at the same time, we need to pray for this other woman that God will heal her. We need to pray for her together. And so the other lady said, I, I agree with you. I'll come over tomorrow morning and let's get started. So she walked to the her car, and this is no kidding. The the lady that took my seminar was at the front door watching her walk to her car, and at that moment, her cell phone beeped, and as did the ladies, and they both got simultaneously a text from that woman, and that woman shared with them that certain physical conditions that that were really bothering her and that was keeping her from being able to speak in the Sunday school class at church. And so they were just blown away because they had just decided to do that. Well, that next morning, they they actually invited this lady over and they laid hands on her. And for 20 or 25 minutes, they tag teamed, soaking her in prayer, and she was healed on the spot. And, and what happened is this, this this thing that was going on inside of her, There was a huge pain she'd been having, and her throat was of such a nature that she couldn't speak, and it went away. And Mm. and 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 just right, I kid you not. And it was, and so what happened was, these two ladies that prayed for, of course, the woman who got healed was just jumping around and going crazy. (laughs) But but the, the, the the two ladies that prayed for her because they did it together rather than just one of them, there was a, a such a multiplication of joy and humbling God. You know, I, I'm not worthy to see this sort of thing, not self-loathing, but you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And, and, and an enrichment that they experienced because they did it together. Then they would have not sharing this tremendously joyful uh, opportunity. So there's a perfect mm-hmm. example of that. Wow. So, mm-hmm. so we get people mm-hmm. to pray. Uh, because it's it's going to spread a blessing and growth uh, and help us to learn to serve one another well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What a wonderful story! Thank Isn't you. That a great story. Great yeah. Story. Yeah. You mm-hmm. bet. 
And it also just reminds us that we're all in this together, right? That we need Absolutely. one another, that we are a community. So. Well, I, I, we are. And uh, anybody who thinks they can go this alone, uh, you know, <laughs> they got their head in the sand because uh, <laughs> nobody can do this. We need each other like the Dickens, I'll tell you. I am curious about the role of corporate prayer. So praying as a as a church or maybe as a um, large group, I, I've always wondered what is the purpose or, or what is what is efficacious about doing that together? Can you help me understand? Go ahead, Stan. Well, beyond what you just said, I do find sometimes I don't know how to pray about something well. And by simply agreeing with somebody else in a corporate prayer context, it allows me to enter into that and to and to to be a part of the process and to enjoy the joy that JP just mentioned uh, as a, a prayer is answered. So that for me is worth the price of admission. Often is that I know I'm going to be praying with others who might know more about the situation or at least be able to articulate it better, and I want to be part of that. So if a congregation were to say a written prayer, how, how does that form the Christian? Well, you know, prayers used to be written, and it was basically because there was a desire to carefully formulate uh, what you wanted to, to bring before the supreme being. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it, I think it was largely due to having a more transcendent view of God than perhaps we do today. We tend to emphasize his eminence, or his imminence, rather, sorry, but but it's both. So we tend to be more casual with God, and I like that. I don't think, I think that's a wonderful thing, uh, but it's a both ends. So I think if a person writes out a prayer, and, and, all, and you can tell their heart's not in it, they're just rotely kind of just reading this thing. Well, I don't know. I mean, that, but yeah. That's not as effective, although it might stimulate people in the congregation who say, that speaks for me, you know. So it, it can still work, but, but it's much more effective if a person says, I, I want us now, I want you to join me silently in prayer. And, and this prayer matters so much to uh, our, our body here and to our brother that we're praying for that I have written out what, what I want us, what I want to say. And I would hope that you would agree with me quite silently mm-hmm. as we pray. So that if you did that, then I think that would really enlist people. If you did, I think if you did it all the time, it, it can be just come a ritual. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but so that it, it has, in my view, a limited role. There would be people that really disagree with me that are more high church oriented. And I, I fully respect that. I, there, I don't think there's any knockdown drag out on this, uh, uh, but I'm just telling you my own sense of it. Where are you at? What would, where are you, Stan? Well, I like the phrase you use, both and, because I think that if there is this assumption that the only way to pray is through written prayers, you're losing something of that spontaneity and intim- intimacy with God as, as, uh, as imminent, directly present and accessible. But uh, I have seen more often the other, which is that anytime a written prayer is prayed, it really isn't legit, or at least, at least it's second class to really being in the moment and praying from your heart. And I think that's a false dichotomy. I think there's room for both. Uh, and I look to Jesus as the first example where he told us how to pray and he gave us a prayer yeah. that throughout the centuries has been re- recited. And I have started that practice. Uh, my father, our father, who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Yeah. And, uh, and I find that as I pray that prayer, I will stop and linger over phrases that then caused me to pray about specific things. So uh, to provide my daily bread might make me think of some of a need I have that I hadn't been thinking about, but again, the Lord brings it to mind or uh, as I forgive those who trespass or sin against me. Well, all of a sudden somebody pops into my mind. So it helps (laughs) having a written prayer 
that I'm reading through or at this point, you know, committed to memory and pray through, which then leads into a more intimate time of prayer. And actually, the scriptures are full of written prayers that Christians have prayed throughout the centuries. They're called the Psalms. And so uh, to pray through the Psalms, I think, is is a, a really healthy oh, practice. And actually, God. Jesus does this. There are two books that Jim Sire wrote on this that I highly recommend. One is learning to pray through the Psalms. And then the other is praying the Psalms with Jesus. Wow. Uh, or of Jesus, praying the Psalms of Jesus. And uh, he makes his point. And I think he's right. But again, it can be a balance and you can just read the words and not actually process them and your heart's not in it. And then that's a problem. So, well, recommendation to, uh, cause I, I, I love this Dan. This is so fun. Uh, recommendation. Dallas Willard has a paraphrase of the Lord's prayer that is just will knock your socks off. Ah. And I would Google it. And, and I just Googled Dallas Willard's paraphrase of the mm-hmm. Lord's prayer. Boy, mm-hmm. it is. Oh, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, in my but three decades now of ministering to Christian professors, there's a prayer that I encourage them to pray before they go to work. I'll share it with you. Uh, it's called a prayer before study. It's actually a, a, a prayer from Thomas Aquinas. And it goes like this creator of all things, true source of light and wisdom, origin of all being graciously let a ray of your light penetrate the darkness of my understanding. Take from me the double darkness in which I have been born and obscurity of sin and ignorance and give me a keen understanding, a retentive memory and the ability to grasp things correctly and fundamentally grant me the talent of being exact in my explanations and the ability to express myself with thoroughness and charm point out the beginnings, direct the progress and help in the completion I ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Oh, well, you Amen. you got to send that to me. Yeah, sure. I'll put the initials oh. too. But see that, just praying through that mm-hmm. makes you stop and think about things. You might not have thought about, am I being Ooh. as exact in my explanation mm-hmm. as I can be? Or am I understanding this uh, in a way that allows me to express it with charm? just brings to mind those things and helps, I think, as we pray a prayer like that. Wow. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm telling you, uh, that <laughs> that was so good. Thank you for that, yeah. Stan. Yeah, what a great start to study. That's just a, yeah. it's an excellent. Yeah. And really Thomas is. Aquinas, I mean, he he knew a thing or two about study. So, well, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Any other thoughts on, on uh, Jordan on praying written prayers? I do not believe so. That answered my question. Thank you both. Stan, do you have any questions on prayer that you'd like to ask? Mm, yeah. You know, I've, I, I've, I've wrestled with something that is a little bit more practical it is clear that God has created us all differently in so many ways, gives us uniquenesses that are expressed in the world to his glory differently. And it seems that there could be differences in how we are created to pray, if I can put it that way. I read a book a while ago called, I've got it here, Prayer and Temperament, Different Prayer Forms for Different Personality Types. And I didn't agree with all of it, but it, it resonated somewhat. And I was wondering if, uh, if if that seems to resonate with you, if either of you have thought about that, what what might be some thoughts about that? I think it's spot on. And, and I'll be really honest with you. I've never thought of it. But I do know that studying different temperament types is helpful in the, the ways that different types learn. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. there are ways of adjusting teaching to make it more uh, efficient for a certain type and, and, mm-hmm. and so on. So it make, it just stands to reason that that would be the same with other aspects of a, of a temperament types, personhood and personality. Um, can I ask you what, what just quickly, what, what in the book was your takeaway? Uh, was there something that comes to mind? What was <laughs> the thing that you didn't like? Uh, 
Well, uh, too much? yes, briefly, I identify with a certain type that's a little bit more activist in nature, wanting to get out there, go do run and identify the book that identifies that type with certain biblical figures and made the point that spending five hours in prayer might not be what God's calling you to do uh, as opposed right. to somebody who's, who's got a more contemplative wiring for lack of a better word, yeah. who's called to do that with more of their time. And again, that's the tip of the iceberg, but it freed me up to say, yeah, not that I don't pray, but I, I can't compare myself to people who spend five hours a day praying or right. two hours a day praying, or to be honest with you, one hour a day praying uh, who are really often held up as this is the model. And it helped me say, yeah. you know what, that's the model for them. I can't compare myself to them because that's not who God's created I love me it. to be. I love Without going to the other extreme and saying, so I just don't pray and I leave it to them. <laughs> wow. Why well, the guilt that that relieves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, now yeah, the other great. side was, I think the book was a little bit too pigeonholed and uh, could have been more nuanced, but uh, good. I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that resonates with you because I think about this a lot and I don't know that if there's a lot written on it. So I've just no, been I've never over. heard of it. Never heard of it. And you know, as I, as I'm thinking about my experiences, there's certainly people that I generally go to for prayer. I have specific friends that I think, oh, they're a praying mm. person. Mm. They, they seem to have the gift of prayer. And that's, that's the person I'm going to text. If I want someone to pray for me right now, mm. or if I want someone to pray for me in a soaking kind of way, like you were talking about JP, uh, those those people, it's not necessarily true that they have a more vibrant spiritual life than any of another group of friends. It just might be that they have a kind of inclination, maybe that's or, the word. Or, or as you put it, gifting. Gifting. Uh, um, I, I really, that so true uh, because, you know, we all have a different role to play and, and there are people, some people are just gifted at at, at, at faith and prayer and they just tend to see more things happen i mean i know people like that I do too. and and um it's just as and, but others that would have a different so we all matter but but um if you're going to go to some somebody to learn you're going to go to a, somebody who's gifted in teaching so yeah. why wouldn't it make sense that you'd go to somebody if you're really desperately in need who's got a reputation of being somebody who really knows how to <laughs> approach mm-hmm. the throne, you know, well, mm-hmm. go for it. I agree. Mm-hmm. I got one other question. So I've wrestled with this. Love to get your thoughts on this. Uh, how are we to understand the quantity of prayer? Uh, we seem to have two different views of this in scripture. We're told uh, by Jesus, you know, when you pray, don't use meaningless repetition, mm-hmm. go and, uh, before the father, he knows what you need. Just ask him. But on the other hand, the parable of the persistent widow seems to praise regular repetitious requests. Uh, rejoice, always pray without ceasing seems to be more than Jesus's suggestion not to use regular repetition. And I think I know the answer. I think it has to do with the word meaningless. <laughs> uh, and it has to do with the level of sincerity, but I'd love to have uh, JP, some of your thoughts on that. Well, I, I, I think you've made a real advance by your statement because the idea, if I say, I'd please don't eat the spoiled meat. Uh, that doesn't mean don't eat meat. It means don't eat the spoiled meat. And if I say don't engage in vain repetition, it doesn't follow that I'm against repetition. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, the Psalms were repeated, and Jesus gave us a prayer to memorize and repeat. So uh, I, I, it, it, this is a tough one, but I think that, that there may be two focuses. The, the teachings on bring your requests and, you know, and make them brief. I think that tends to bring out the tendency we have in thinking that this is a work, that Mm. if I pray longer, I'm going to in some way coerce God because I'm going to, he'll have to answer me more likely uh, because I'm demonstrating so much spiritual Mm -hmm. fervency Mm -hmm. and earnestness to him. So if I can pray a little bit longer, that's going to increase the chances he's got to respond. I think Uh, C.S. Lewis would call it magic. 
Yeah. It, it, right? yes. That you're manipulating God through certain incantations. Thank you. Thank you. Exactly. That's, thank you. So I think that that teaching wants to get rid of that. But I think okay. there are other times, like Jesus spent the whole night in prayer. Uh, I think those are times when you are burdened about something and you want to spend time in God's presence, maybe not talking all the time, but maybe, if, and that process can give you insights as, as you're in the God's presence from his spirit about what to yeah. do or how to refocus. So this, but sometimes that mm-hmm. doesn't come immediately. It takes a little bit of time to get that refocused direction. That's the that's yeah, my that makes sense thoughts about it, and I think that maps to the persistent widow yeah. of Luke eighteen because she was deeply burdened by this need of this of this oppressor being restrained, and so she kept coming back because it was heartfelt. She sincerely needed it. She knew the only answer was justice from this judge, so she kept coming. Yep, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I think Very that helpful. is an excellent place for us to conclude. And I hope the listeners were not hoping for five steps to perfect prayers today. (laughs) Um, This has been a really nuanced conversation and I appreciate that. Can I, as we close it, can I mention a book that Mm -hmm. I'm reading? And so this is a pseudo or proto endorsement, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, I think uh, I can do so. I'm reading for the first time, actually, I've had this in my list forever through C.S. Lewis's letters to Malcolm chiefly on prayer. And I am finding, as I do with most of Lewis, every page has some things that make me stop and just ponder, not always agree, uh, often not even really understand, but it's really pushing me in some new ways in the whole area of prayer. So I suggest others who want to journey with me in that, uh, it'd be a good thing to Mm. pick up. Well, this has been such a good time. This needs to get out there because we've really had a a real deep and meaningful, fun conversation. Send me that uh, Aquinas statement. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Oh, and, that was and, a uh, keeper. It's 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 really ministered a lot of professors over the years. So oh, I, yeah. I've always tried to mention it when I get a chance. You're the man. Yeah. God bless you guys and go Chiefs. Yes. <laughs> you too. And amen. Great. That brings us to the end of this edition of the Thinking Christianly podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation in the pursuit of faith, seeking understanding. Be sure to check out today's show notes at www.thinkingchristianly.org slash podcasts, where you can find more information and the resources we discussed. Finally, please do visit our sponsor, Global Scholars. Until next time, this is Jordan Plink, encouraging you to think Christianly.